0: Uh, last song, he is alive. I am so thankful that he is alive and that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much this morning. We thank you for the gift, God, of your Holy Spirit and the gift of everlasting life. We're so thankful that we can come boldly before your throne of grace in a time of need and so we just are so appreciative this morning. We ask that you would bless our hearts, that you would cause your word to find a resting place and bring fruit in our lives. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. I want to start today by asking each and every one of you a question. And the question is this. Have you ever been a part of a team? And when I say a team, I don't mean just a loose affiliation of people. I mean a team where you had a common goal, a common purpose, a common mission, and you're all connected in this shared enterprise. Maybe it's been a sports team for you or maybe a a team at school or maybe a team at work. Uh, But if you have been involved in a team and it's been a good team, you know that there are few things in life that are more exhilarating, more powerful, more exciting, Than being a part of a close knit team that's moving towards a goal and an objective together. When I was in high school um, about five years ago or so, I was, um, (laughs) thank you, I was on uh, our school's wrestling team. And I can remember with vivid detail the seconds that would lead up to the commencement of a wrestling match. We would all be together in the locker room, 13 starters, each one of us representing a different weight class. Each one of us had put in countless hours drilling and lifting and cutting weight and bleeding and pushing our bodies to the limit and our minds and emotions uh, to, to lead up to this one moment. Each one of us on this team intimately knew what was going on in the lives of our teammates. We knew what was happening in their home life, we knew what was going on with them emotionally, if they had been focused and, and, and maintained clarity that week or if they had been distracted. We knew, we knew their weight. In wrestling, you have to know everybody's exact weight. You knew if somebody was point, you know, two ounces over, uh, you, knew, you knew exactly what was going on in the lives of everybody. You knew their, their physical condition, whether they were nursing a sprained ankle whether they had a cold, whether they had bruised ribs. You just you knew everything about your teammates because being a part of a, a team, a real team, is kind of like being a part of a family. And in the seconds leading up to the meet, all of our teammates, we would huddle together in the locker room, arms interlocked, and we would do that thing where you just start shouting encouragement to one another, like coals in a fire. We were getting each other worked up, and then you would hear a crackle over the PA system in the gym. And the 80s rock anthem, We Will Rock You, would start to play. And the crowd would stand up on their feet at Pattonville High School, and they would start stomping to the beat of We Will Rock You. You can hear it right now, right? And we would, all 13 of us, single file, come jogging out of the gym, all dressed the same, We've got our black and gray and green hooded warm-up suits. We've got the hoods down over our eyes. And we are looking as tough as any group of 13-year-old, 17-year-old, whatever, post-pubescent, prepubescent boys could possibly look. We felt like warriors because we were part of this team. And when it was your turn to take on your opponent one-on-one, out on the mat, you were physically out there alone, but you knew that you had a band of brothers behind you that were pulling for you, that were encouraging you, and that were supporting you. You knew that whether you had won or lost, you knew that they respected the amount of work and difficulty and challenge that it took to get out there on the mat because you knew you were part of a team. My father used to say, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Whether we realize it or not, we're all involved to some extent in teams, either consciously or unconsciously. You're a part of a team at work. You're a part of a team at school. Your family constitutes a team. Uh, membership of this church is a team. We all have a common goal, a common mission, a common purpose. And then within this church, we have our what we call our dream team, and I'm going to talk more about them in a in a few minutes. And then. And then broken down from our dream team, we have smaller teams that are all pushing and focusing and trying to accomplish the mission of this church. Engaging minds, encouraging hearts, empowering hands with the gospel of Jesus. And so let me ask you today, in your life, what teams are you on? What teams have you chosen to be on and what teams have you just sort of fallen into? Um. I want to talk about today as part of our series, wrapping up our series, the idea that the relationships into which we enter, part of that relationship dynamic in our life has to include participating in a larger team. If you ask, for example, how does this tie in to the marriage, sex, dating, and hookups, and, and here's how it ties in. It is not feasible, it is not possible for any of us to lead God-honoring lives either in our singleness or in our marriage without being part of, a, of an authentic community of other Christians who will help guide us, lead us, and encourage us in our relationships. We all need to be part of a team. Um, I recently read a really great story about teamwork, and I thought you might enjoy it. It's uh, two guys. They were both businessmen down in rural Illinois. One was a veterinarian. And one was a taxidermist. And these two guys, they, they, um, neither of their businesses were doing well. And so they said, you know what we ought to do? Let's team up, and we'll just open one shop. And so that's what they did. They combined their efforts, a, a veterinarian and a taxidermist. They got together. They put a sign out in front of their store, and it said, veterinarian and taxidermist. Either way, you get your dog back. <laughs> they, they had a 100% success rate. When they became a team, Moses needed Aaron to help him lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Joshua needed Caleb. David needed Joab. Paul needed Barnabas. And even Jesus, when you look back at the Gospels, he started his mission by building a team. Most of the rabbis of the first century, they would teach and then they would wait for adherents and disciples to come to them. But Jesus went out and handpicked a team of people to gather around him. He, he chose a group of 12 to form his crew. And these guys were from different political persuasions, different temperaments, different educational levels, different experiences in life. And history tells us that this team, this team of 12 men plus Jesus, who came from this backwater of Judea and with no political connections, no family connections, limited education, transformed the entire globe within a matter of a few decades. Even the Son of God needed a team to fulfill his purpose. And so I want to challenge you today and say, if you or I are going to do anything significant, anything meaningful, anything powerful in our life, we have to be able to combine efforts with other people to expand our ability beyond our own to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. We need to be part of a team. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be part uh, of an authentic community of believers working together one with another. What does it mean to connect with people in in an effective and efficient and productive way and bring real meaningful change into your life and into my life and into the community around us? And I'm going to talk just for a few minutes today about what that looks like. The very first principle for a team-directed life is the hardest one, and that's trust. Trust. That's letting somebody into your world That's letting somebody know your vulnerabilities, know your weaknesses, know your insecurities, your failures, your struggles, because it's easier to remain isolated and alienated. It's easier to remain within the sterile bubble of your own life, but you don't get anything done that way. You don't reach out, you don't transform the world if you stay, uh, if if you are afraid to reach out and risk joining others, risk getting hurt, risk getting disappointed and wounded, Let me ask you, has anybody been rejected? Anybody ever asked somebody out on a date and been rejected? Just me and two other people? Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Chris Moritz. I appreciate that, man. A few years ago during the halftime at um, at an NBA game between Sacramento Kings and the Houston Rockets, this young man decides that this would be an opportune time to go and propose to his wife or to his girlfriend mid-court. Now, she doesn't know what's happening. She thinks that she had been called out because she won a contest, but he had arranged with the Rockets to come out mid-court. So he comes out, and, and of course the whole thing is being broadcast on the Jumbotron, right? So everybody in the auditorium is seeing what's happening. Everybody on TV can see what's happening. And this guy, full of confidence, full of hope, full of excitement, goes out onto the court, gets down on one knee, opens the box, Box pulls out the ring and says, Will you make me the happiest man in the world? And of course, the crowd erupts and cheers, right? Because they are fully anticipating that this young woman is going to say yes, and the lovers will embrace, and everyone will be happy. But tragedy strikes. To the horror of the onlookers, the woman actually reaches down, like gently, and she's trying to pull the guy back up. She's like, You can't exactly see what they're saying, but you can tell that she's giving him the no-go. And the guy is totally frozen and paralyzed with dejection. He can't move. And the crowd, at at that moment, the buzzer bleats, right, as if to say, get off the court, you loser. Um, The crowd then turns on the woman as if this is her fault. They start booing her. She runs off the court, and and the last shot is the guy, the would-be groom who's being comforted and escorted off the court by Clutch, the Houston Rockets' giant teddy bear mascot. (laughs) Oh, the shame. But sometimes you've got to take a risk. The Christian writer and psychiatrist, M. Scott Peck, says there can be no vulnerability without risk. There can be no community without vulnerability. There can be no peace and ultimately, no life without community. Being a part of a member or a member of a team, an authentic community is letting your teammates know your strengths and your weaknesses. Opening up to other brothers and sisters, uh, Christian brothers and sisters, who you can trust, who you can form community with, who will build you up, who will move you towards a focused life, leading out your purpose in life as part of a team. Every friend, remember this, that every friend that you have, every trusted confidant that you now have was once a stranger. And it takes time, but God is calling all of us to build those deep, abiding, important, valuable, trusting relationships with other men and women. The second principle to developing this team-centered life is engaging in healthy conflict. This is one that nobody likes But it's absolutely vital. If if, if any of you know people who are strong conflict avoiders, or if you are a strong conflict avoider, you know that avoiding the conflict doesn't make it go away. Right? It just persists. Why is there conflict? In every relationship of any depth, there's going to be conflict. And the reason is, is because no two people have the same outlooks, the same expectations, the same backgrounds, the same communication styles. We all come from different places. And so when we start to get more deeply intimate with one another in Christian community or in your relationship with your spouse, there will be conflict. Um, If there's not conflict, then what is likely happening, and and Peck uh, uses this term as well, is that what is likely happening is that you're not engaging in real community, you're engaging in quasi-community. And quasi-community is just where you are, everybody's just being nice, and nobody's actually addressing real stuff that's going on. I knew this couple a few years ago, that these two people were the nicest people in the world, they still are. Um, They had recently gotten married, and during their dating time, they had no squabbles, no fights. No problems. Everything was golden. But after they got married, uh, they started realizing that there was conflict. But both of these people had very low tolerance for conflict, and so they would just not talk about it. The wife would come home, and, and she was upset because the husband wasn't as affectionate and communicative as she wanted him to be, and he worked a lot, and he wasn't spending as much time with the family as she wanted. He would come home, and he would want her to relax with him and enjoy him and spend time and go out and do stuff, and she was sort of uh, stressed out and wasn't able to do that, and, and she was depressed, and she was going through some issues in, in her life, and it all sort of tied back to this. She, wasn't, uh, she was not a, She was sort of ignoring her chores around the house, and, uh, and they just had this conflict going on. They weren't able to, to work it out, and for maybe a year or a year and a half, they drifted into this life where they were sort of roommates, but they weren't intimate. Their relationship had just stagnated. Um, finally, they, they went and got help. Uh, they went and got some counseling, and the counselor basically said, look, you guys need to fight. You need to have this out. You need to resolve this conflict in a healthy way. You've got to expose what's going on in your life. So how do we do that as a community, as a team? How do we handle conflict and there's two ways and I want you sort of to picture it in a, in a circle right there's this at the top of the circle there's the relationship and, and every relationship at some point in the relationship there's conflict all right. and when the conflict happens you have two choices you have avoidance and you have engagement you can avoid the conflict in which case the conflict doesn't go away the relationship goes away because eventually, the conflict just gets in the way of deepening the relationship, and it peters out to just nothing. You may still be sort of remotely related to one another, but it's not a real relationship. So avoidance just makes the, con- the conflict or makes the relationship disappear. Then there's engagement. If You come around to the bottom of the circle. I was going to draw this out, but um, I'm drawing it out in, with my hands. Um, at this bottom of the circle here is engagement. Right? And if you engage the other person, there's a couple, there are a couple ways that you can engage. One is dominance. You just assert your will. You say, here's the problem, and we're going to do it my way, and that's it, right? That may work a few times, but eventually that's going to stymie the relationship completely. That's going to cut it off, right? So you've got to, if you, if you want to engage in a way that will strengthen the relationship, you've got to do it with a sense of humility, and a a sense of assertiveness. And I want to read you um, our passage, Philippians 2. I love this passage. Paul is speaking to the Philippians church, uh, the, uh, the church in Philippi, and he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What's he saying? He's saying, get on the same page. He's saying, work out your differences in humility. Don't be insistent on getting your own way, but look out for the agenda of others as well. Listen to each other. Understand where others are coming from. Put yourself in their shoes. Think about their interests and work towards a resolution. And that's the humble assertiveness that i'm talking about and what that leads to if you if you're still following the circle that that leads to resolution which leads to intimacy which leads to a strengthening of the relationship and that's what the cycle of these of your relationships are going to be in your life in your in your teams with church with your loved ones if you are in real relationship and you are able to humbly and assertively address your issues this is what's going to happen Conflicts will will continue to arise, but when you address them and you look out for the other and you try to work things out in a way that's loving and mature and not selfish, you end up with a closer and a deeper understanding of each other. First Corinthians says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's saying, "Work it out." He's saying, "Not necessarily no conflict, but no divisions. Don't let your con- don't let your conflicts result in divisions among you. But work it out, address it out." There was this uh, great moment. I think it was last year in the Notre Dame, uh, Alabama BCS championship game. Alabama was beating Notre Dame forty-two to fourteen. They were totally creaming them. And there's this play. There, were, I think there were seven minutes left in the game, and there was this moment when the Alabama quarterback. A.J. McMahon uh, and his center, Barrett-Jones, had a difference of opinion when they were calling this game. And I know there's Notre Dame fans here, and I know there's Alabama fans here, and I'm not trying to start a fight, okay? We can work this out, folks. But but Alabama was killing them. And um, and 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 McMahon, uh, McCarran and Barrett, they were just getting their signals mixed up, and it made them run out of time. The buzzer... The buzzer rang, and uh, it was a delay of game. And you see these two guys. They're on the same team. There's nothing at stake. They've already essentially won the game, right? But they're so insistent on getting it right that, that the quarterback gets in his center's face, and he starts yelling at him, which is not a great idea because the center was about 200 pounds heavier than the quarterback. And, and in this, this moment in front of live television and a game that everyone's watching, the center, Barrett, pushes the quarterback and his own team gives them a shove, and they're just yelling at each other, and everyone's going, what just happened? But then you find out that these guys, the center and the quarterback, are best friends. They're roommates. They're teammates. They absolutely love each other, but they're always pushing each other. They're always you know, striving to push each other to become better. There's conflict, and then, and then a few minutes later, the camera cuts back onto the sideline, and you see the two guys hugging it out, right? Because they knew that, that it's, it's, it's not that there's not going to be any conflict. It's that they're going to work it out. They're going to push each other. They're going to try to make each other better. It's iron sharpening iron, pushing each other, holding each other accountable because they're both driving towards a common purpose and a common goal. Every friendship of any depth that you have is going to push you in ways that you weren't expecting. Any, any, any relationship in the church that you have going is going if it's if it goes deep it's going to challenge you in ways that you weren't expecting and that's good we're called to work that out and then the third uh, the third principle here in the team directed life is to maintain focus on the team mission and this is the last one I want to go through with you um, when I was a, a an undergrad at Mizzou, I was I don't even know how I was elected to this but I was elected as uh, as the SBA director, it was the Student Business Association director. I do not know how I got that job. But but as part of my job, I was supposed to encourage business leadership and development and entrepreneurship on the campus. It was part of the student government, student body. Uh, but I was not at that time, I was not focused on that mission. That was my mission as part of my, but I had other things going on. How, how many knows when you're a freshman in college, there's a lot going on? Uh, and so I was focusing on other things. And finally, our student body president came to me at one point. And he said, "Brent, you know, you really ought to do something as the SBA director. You know, that would comport with your mission. And you know, do something." So I said, "Hey, that's a great idea. Um, what did you have in mind?" And he, he said, "Well, look, why don't you just put on some event? We'll have a speaker. You know, you invite the students, and it'll be a, a, an opportunity for students to learn about business. Like, get a business leader in." There. I said, "Great idea." I called a guy. Booked this guy who was, uh, you know, sort of on the speaking circuit. Um, and then I did all of the perfunctory things that you have to do. I, I, I ordered the PA system. I, I ordered about 500 chairs to be set up in this auditorium. I ordered some catering. I ordered some food. I got some a PA. I got, you know, projectors and screen. I got it all set up. But the one thing I didn't really focus on was getting people there to attend the event wasn't focused on the real purpose. And so the, uh, three days before the event, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I really should do something to try to drum up some interest in this event. And so I made this flimsy little flyer and put it in the mailboxes of the business school of professors. And in my logic, I was thinking, you know what they'll do? They'll pull this flyer out and they'll say, this is awesome, and then they're going to require all of their students to attend the event, and man, it's going to be packed, and this thing is going to be huge. That was my wishful thinking logic as a 19-year-old. Um, so the night of the event, it's about 30 minutes before the event, I get there, I have my suit and tie on, I walk in, there are the 500 chairs, there's the catering, there's the PA, there's the speakers, and there is the the, the guy who's going to give the presentation, and He's excited. You know, he's been studying. He's been preparing for this. He's excited to meet a bunch of students, a bunch of business students, and really show them what he's got. Uh, so he and I are talking, and then the student body president comes down, and he's got a suit and tie on, and he brings his girlfriend because he wants to impress her with what his, his team is doing. And we're all standing there, and somehow I still maintain this illusion That this was going to turn into an amazing event, and throngs of students were going to pour in, and there would be a multitude of kids that wanted to learn about business and entrepreneurship. But when it got to be about five minutes till seven, which was the start time, the four of us were still just sort of looking at each other, uh, and they were kind of looking at me like, huh, I wonder if this is not going to go as well as we had anticipated it would. Um, And then it was three minutes till seven. And then two, and then one, and then it was seven, and no one came. Not one single person came to the event, and I just remember standing there, trying to maintain a good sort of stance, and 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 the look on their faces—the the, the student body president and the business leader—it was like this look of of confusion and contempt and like like. What, wh- who are you? And um, I remember sort of just gently excusing myself and heading out. Uh, and then the next student government meeting, I remember I was sitting there around a table, and I heard someone make a motion to dissolve the Student Business Association. And I thought, that, that would mean that I would lose my job on student government. Somebody seconded the motion. Uh, they called for a vote, and everyone voted to dissolve the student business, and and I actually found myself raising my hand, voting aye. Um, And it all happened, this this fiasco happened, because I wasn't focused on the mission. I wasn't focused on what it is that we were trying to accomplish. I want to take just a few minutes today, and I want to introduce to you as a congregation the teams that are focused on the mission of bringing Christ and bringing the gospel to this church and to our community. We have an amazing dream team here, and they embody the principles that I'm talking about. And I want to, uh, why don't we do this? I want all of our dream team members to stand up and just, let's give them a round of applause. If you're a dream team member, stand up. Come on, stand up. Let's give our dream team members a round of applause. And I would also like, for just a minute, I would like our dream team leaders to come up here. You can be seated. Dream team leaders. Will you come up here for just a minute? All of our dream team leaders. With enthusiasm. <laughs> and thanksgiving. This is this, these are our dream team leaders. These are the men and women who are, and Michelle Sarich, right back there, and then Karen and Jason Fry are out. Side, they're leading the Sunday school today, but I just wanted to take a minute and say these guys are doing an amazing job at leading our congregation leading the teams that that bring the gospel and bring our mission to not only this church but to our community at large and I want to say that these guys are doing with excellence what they have been called to do and this church could not be doing what it's doing. It could not be growing like it's growing without the hard work of this amazing team. Can we give them one more round of applause? Love you guys. Thank you. You can be seated. Martin Luther King Jr. says, all labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. And that's what these guys do. And so I want to challenge you today as we close. I just want to challenge you to think very seriously about becoming a member of either becoming a member of our dream team or joining a life group or reaching out to somebody today at lunch and starting to really form community, starting to really form a group of men and women around you who can be there with you, who can strengthen you, who can encourage you, who can support you, who can walk through the scriptures with you, who can, who can be with you when you're struggling, who you can call in the middle of the night, well, maybe not the middle of the night, 10.30 would be a good cutoff time, but, uh, but who you can call when you need help, because all of us, all of us need to be members of a team, and I want to encourage you all to join us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our teams. Thank you for our leaders. Thank you for just the opportunity to serve you and to serve one another, to serve the body of Christ. Uh, We're just grateful, Lord, that you've called us and you've chosen us and you've redeemed us and you've washed us and you have sanctified us, Lord, to go out and do what you've called us to do. We ask that you help us, Lord, to be effective, effective ministers, leading people into the gospel, leading people into your grace and love. We ask you, Lord, to help us overcome our fears, to be willing to risk, to be willing to reach out to others, to open our hearts, Lord, to be to be formed like iron sharpening iron by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to resolve any conflicts that we may have as they arise. Help us to resolve them. Help us to, to speak and to work with each other with humility and grace and with assertiveness and truth, speaking the truth in love. And, God, we ask that you help us to be focused on our mission. Take us where you want us to be, Lord. Let us follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and body. Change us, Lord, so we can change the world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.